welcome to the Baker McKenzie podcast series, Solutions for a Connected World. In this episode, we're looking at quantum computing, specifically in the finance sector, and the impact this nascent technology will have on the industry. I'm joined today by three experts to help tackle this topic. They are Mark Simpson, partner at Baker McKenzie, who focuses on financial regulation, Peter Chapman, CEO of quantum computing company IonQ, and Eleanor Strabag, Global Head of Data Science Innovation for the Corporate, Commercial and Institutional Bank at Standard Chartered. Quantum computing uses the laws of quantum mechanics to solve complex problems where traditional computers fail. Rather than looking at problems in a linear fashion, QC uses multidimensional spaces to observe patterns to determine a solution. This could help solve problems in a matter of days that would have taken regular computers hundreds of years. Before we get too far ahead, Peter, can you explain how quantum computing works? It has been suggested the person who can explain quantum computing to the layman is do a Nobel Prize unto itself. So with that caveat, I'll do my best, but it's probably not Nobel Prize worthy. In the computer that you're using today, you're using a digital computer that uses bits, ones and zeros. But in a quantum computer, we use something called qubits, which is ones and zeros, and it has alongside it something called a probability amplitude. What that is is a probability between the one and the zero, but it's better than that because it can have a negative probability. You could kind of think of it as a pond where it's completely flat. There's no wind, there's no ripples. And what a qubit is, is you drop it into the pond and it creates a wave. And then somewhere else, I drop another qubit into the pond and it creates a wave. And those waves come together and they either amplify each other, meaning that you get bigger waves, or they subtract each other, in which case maybe the wave goes away. And now you can measure it and see where the waves are at the highest. And that's probably the answer. And so you can kind of think about going through and dropping lots of, lots of little qubits into a pond and looking at the wave function that gets at the end. And it's a much more powerful than what you see today, and it mimics what Mother Nature actually uses. We don't live in a matrix, you know, simulation. It's not a digital system. It's actually based on quantum mechanics. So how does that help solve problems quicker than conventional computers? If you had 120 good enough qubits, then the number of possibilities that it can consider at one time is 2 to the 120. 2 to the power of 120 is a number which is larger than the number of atoms in the known universe, all 13.8 billion light years across. And it can consider that in a single instruction, and in an instruction which is not much slower than your laptop. So the computational capabilities of these things and it's a massive amount. I mean, just think about that. If you converted all the matter in the universe to transistors, it would not be able to keep up with one of these machines at just 120 good enough qubits. So what benefits can QC bring specifically to the finance sector? Well, we've certainly seen early results in machine learning. So for instance, let me model between Microsoft and Apple and see what the relationship is, and I'll do some ML for that. If Microsoft goes up, what will Apple do in response, right, as an example? And so what we saw is that classically, it seemed to capture most of the signal, but it missed all the outliers. 
And in the quantum system, it captured the outliers. And the outliers are the interesting things. So those are the black swan events. And from a financial point of view, it's those black swan events that actually matter. The second piece is that we saw that the training speeds were substantially better, like on the order of a thousand times faster than you could do classically. And so if you're using a quantum computer to make your investment decisions, and it's doing it faster and better than somebody who's doing it classically, one is going to win and the other one's probably going to go out of business. And that's exactly what we saw back in the day when people were going from paper to a digital system, which could put a trade through much faster than what a human could do. Elena, let's bring you in here. At Standard Chartered, you're already looking at quantum. Where do you see the benefits? So, so far, there have been some promising findings and some marginal advantages in certain use cases on the quantum side. So, for example, in certain use cases, we have been able to solve the same problem classically and using a quantum computer, but the quantum method required us to use less training data, which I think is an interesting finding for classical machine learning. And it could be something that drives an advantage further down the line. And the second thing that we found is that, again, in certain use cases, the quantum machine learning method produced slightly better model accuracy. So these are at the moment, these are marginal advantages that we're finding for our financial use cases. But I think it is a promising indicator of the you know, hopeful quantum advantages that will be found in future. IBM states that quantum computing is expected to produce breakthrough products and services within three to five years. But others predict it could be 10 to 15 years until it's mainstream. Why are you looking at quantum now? There are three key reasons why we're looking at quantum right now. The first one is alignment with government objectives. Standard Chartered is a UK headquartered bank, and we have been supporting the UK government's ambition to be the first quantum-ready economy. And since September 2020, we have been part of the Innovate UK government consortium, which is building the first full-stack gate model quantum computer in the UK. Our second objective is around our clients, and we want to ensure that we are industry-leading in this future quantum-ready economy, and that requires strategic preparation. The quantum computers that are around today and are commercially available are in what is called the Noisy Intermediate Scale Quantum Era, or NISC. So that refers to the fact that they don't yet have the full error correction capabilities and that they haven't really yet reached full scale. While the actual timeline for that technology to reach full scale isn't known, the key point is that strategic preparation is required and that is a key reason why we are looking at this now. The third area really is around joint goals, one of which is the journey to net zero. There has been an amount of research that indicates that quantum computing could be an accelerator and differentiator in this global journey to net zero. So for example, there is research on how quantum could be used to accelerate battery technologies and to conduct molecular simulations, which in future could result in accelerating the development of some of the scientific advances that are needed to enable all of us to reach that net zero goal. Thank you, Lana. A major concern for boardrooms right now is cybersecurity. Modern security servers use RSA keys that currently secure over $4 trillion of commerce. 
what vulnerabilities in existing systems need to be looked at with the advent of quantum computing power? Peter. Today, if you are using RSA, they say that it would take 300 trillion years to break one of your emails, the encryption of one of your emails um, on the world's largest supercomputer. The negative is that with a quantum computer that is powerful enough is that you could break that encryption in a second. The problem here is not just for corporations, but you know when you log into your bank account, you're using HTTPS and that's using a RSA key. And so now I can come in with a quantum computer and I can break the internet protocols. It basically means we need to redo everything that the current world is built on unless you don't care if it's being hacked. Mark, let's bring you in here. With this rather scary backdrop, where are we, if anywhere, in terms of financial regulation on quantum? This does have potentially far-reaching implications for privacy, but also financial stability, and you can see why it's an area that governments will be particularly concerned about. Asymmetric keys are widely used to secure communications over the internet. So if those algorithms can be attacked, then it could compromise key connections used by the financial system in terms of mobile banking, you know, e-commerce, payment platforms, ATM, cash withdrawals, VPN communications, um, but also popular digital assets such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, which you know, rely on public key cryptography. So that's obviously a key concern. There's a concern over future cybersecurity and resilience if there's no investment in systems. And the National Cybersecurity Centre in the UK has previously warned that you know, firms should be considering now already how to protect their data from quantum-powered threats. And I think a general sense that movement on this has been rather slow. Clearly, this is something which is already an area or touches on an area that's of concern already for central banks and financial services regulators. I think another question is around what will the attitude be of regulators? Will they be supportive? Will they allow this to develop organic way? Uh, Will they sort of seek to intervene? What will their attitude be? That's another challenge. There's also the point around explainability. That is an area where firms are going to need to potentially really invest time because they'll, they'll need to ensure that ultimately their senior management can explain how they're using the technology and how these outcomes have been arrived at. Eleanor, are there any silver linings? I am aware that there are several organizations and researchers who are working on quantum encryption. And from the research that I've seen, quantum computing could be used to secure and transmit data in a way that cannot be hacked, even by potential future quantum algorithms. So I know that there are a number of organizations working on this. So I think it will be really interesting to see how in future quantum computing can actually help to add to the security and actually to create more secure encryption than we have today. Are there any other challenges in the adoption of quantum? So I think the main challenge is the uncertain timeline for when the quantum technology itself will reach full scale. So as I mentioned at the moment, the technology itself is in this noisy intermediate era. But what that means as well is that the timeline for seeing a true return on investment in quantum computing is also uncertain. But at the same time, it's obviously, as I mentioned, important to be preparing strategically. And one way that we're doing that in the meantime is building up the bank's IP portfolio. So one way of providing some sort of return on investment is that buildup of IP. 
which I know a lot of organizations count as an intangible asset on their balance sheets as well. Every organization is going to look to build up IP, but I also think that IP contribution is a very important component if we want to accelerate this particular area. So I think that there needs to be an element of sharing either between industries, within an industry, with academia and with government so that we collectively progress more quickly because these are common goals for all of us. Mark, can you add some context on the legal challenges around IP in the quantum space? Yeah, so I think as is typical for nascent technologies, you know, many quantum computing applications will be developed in cooperation with third parties. With that in mind, before you embark on a cooperation of that nature, you should be thinking about ensuring clarity around the rights to intellectual property and know-how involved. That could be, you know, IP and know-how contributed to the project by either of the parties at the start, sometimes referred to as background IP, IP or know-how created within the collaboration itself, which is sometimes referred to as foreground IP, and IP created outside of but still relevant to the collaboration, so sometimes referred to as sideground IP, as well as potentially IP created by any of the parties after the end of the collaboration or post-ground IP. So there's quite a few different elements there, but broadly companies will want to define their broad strategy concerning quantum computing related IP. Do do they want to adopt a more offensive type of strategy or more defensive strategy? Do they want to focus on trade secret protection or patent focus protection and and so on? And that's going to change depending on exactly what that party is bringing to the table. But clearly it's amongst the, the most important legal issues that companies in this space need to be thinking about. Thanks, Mark. Any last thoughts from everyone on the importance of quantum computing? Yeah, so I think it mostly comes down to that exponential scaling potential. So the fact that the quantum computer in future could solve problems that are exponentially larger than a classical computer can today, I think will unlock a lot of opportunities. And a key one that I mentioned, which I think will be particularly exciting, is that journey to net zero. And this is obviously a common goal for you know financial services, for our clients, and for every organization. Mark? I think the thing that's interesting about it is its cross-cutting nature. You know, the fact that it really, it's one of those developments that is not siloed to a particular area within financial services or to a particular you know type of function within a financial services company. It's something which, you know, a bit like digital computing, it underlies almost every aspect of these firms' businesses. And so that has the potential to be revolutionary. It therefore, it seems there's a compelling need that policymakers get on top of it, that they do that in due time before the technology bears fruit. And similarly, that the industry itself is making the right investments ahead of time because it really does have the potential to have a seismic impact on the environment in which they operate. And finally, Peter, today when we want to do a drug trial, we do that with humans. It's super expensive, but the hope is that we could run the chemistry and inside a quantum computer in a fraction of that time and a fraction of cost. And we could run through a million different drugs And so the success factor for drugs goes up exponentially because of a quantum computer. And so what does that mean? You know, that might mean that we can now go after curing cancer and many other things much more effectively. Albert Einstein famously said, the more success the quantum theory has, the sillier it looks. 
Well, with quantum computing on our doorstep, it certainly doesn't seem silly. In fact, it's both scary and tantalizingly cool. To think that within 3 to 15 years time, there could be computers as powerful as the universe is just mind-boggling. What's refreshing is that companies like IonQ are at the forefront of the tech revolution, showing that quantum computing can be done. And financial institutions like Standard Chartered are investing, partnering and preparing for it now. Baker McKenzie is also ready for the quantum age and the legal challenges it might bring. The key for all is to watch this space and the bits in between. Mm -hmm.